Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke 12, 32, 48. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you, Sherry. You had fun reading that one, didn't you? Yeah, okay, wow, all right. Well, good morning, Arcadia. Good to see you all this morning. If you're new, we're glad that you're here. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors uh, here, and uh, we are finishing up a little two-week series today uh, in Luke chapter 12. Um, but before we get there, uh, I do have some announcements. First of all, I want to remind you all that next week we are starting our 7.30 a.m. Sunday service. Uh, and so we're going to have um, pretty much everything prepared for you. I, I think we're even going to have coffee uh, for the 7.30 service. And so we're excited to be able to do that uh, to help us out um, with our space problem until we get our uh, new sanctuary built, which will be done in 16 to 18 months. Um, also, <clears throat> I wanted to mention that if the 7.30 service goes really well, we'll start talking about having a six o'clock in the morning service as well. So I uh, just wanted to bring that up for you all. Um, the uh, couple of other things. Um, also, this week, this Wednesday, we're starting that um, four-week series on spiritual gifts on Wednesday nights. It'll be in this room in the sanctuary from seven till about eight o'clock. I'm giving myself until eight 
uh, to be able to review that every week. Uh, we won't necessarily go to eight uh, every week, but I just want to make sure in case we do have some weeks where there's a lot of material. And there is quite a bit of material, but I think if you've ever wondered about spiritual gifts, this would be a great study for you to come to. Uh, and on the last night of that, by the way, we have, um, just remember, in the midst of that, we have Ash Wednesday. So we'll go three weeks, uh, and then we'll have Ash Wednesday, and then we'll finish it. Uh, finish the spiritual gifts the final week. But on that final week, the fourth week of spiritual gifts, we will show you how to do a spiritual gifts inventory or assessment online. And we'll have a couple of people do that so you can get an idea on how to figure out what your spiritual gifts are as well. After that, then we're going to do um, three weeks with a membership class where Pastor Trey, Pastor Tyler James and I will be doing that. And, and then after that, We'll figure something else out. I'll let you know about that. Uh, finally, I promise you, uh, this generally on the last uh, Sunday of January every year, we give you the financial results and the budget for the next year. So here it is. Um, 2022 results are general budget tithes and offerings. Notice, just general budget tithes and offerings. Uh, this year was $1,362,500. Our expenses, $1,238,000. So we had a surplus this year of $124,500, most of which, yeah, that's really good. Thank you so much for that. You're a very generous <laughs> congregation. Um, much of that $124,000 will then be uh, moved into our, our, our savings account, our congregation savings account, which also will be used towards the expansion of the new uh, sanctuary as well, so that's really helpful. I want to mention that this, um, the general uh, ties and budget <clears throat> general tithes and offerings um, excludes everything that you have done over and above on the sacred space campaign as well. And so you lump that in and, and we've, we've had a really good year. And I just wanna mention that um, of course it's, uh, this, this uh, sacred space campaign is, is three years long. And so if you still haven't made a commitment or let us know how you wanna be able to help us with that, uh, of course we're still taking commitments and and any input that we could get uh, from you on that. Um, the 2023 budget, now uh, notice how close the 2023 budget is to what our tithes and offerings were for 2022. I want you to understand that we do our budgeting process during the month of October. We had no idea where we were gonna end up 2022, and so it just is very serendipitous that it ends up being uh, that close. So again, thank you very much for a wonderful um, year. One other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is that if you would like more detail about any of this, you can email either myself or Pastor Tyler James, who is our uh, executive pastor and family pastor here at uh, Redemption Arcadia. So let's get going on uh, the last of Luke chapter 12. Again, I'll open with Billy Graham's quote, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other, other area of his life. I remember our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to say this, and I know this irks some people. It's quite irksome to some people, but I, I also see that there's a lot of truth in this statement. He used to say that if the only problems you have money can solve, then you don't really have very serious problems. Now, you think about that, and, and I would argue that that's probably true. And I know, yeah, but I really do have some money problems. I'd like some money to be able to solve that. Um, but, I, but understand that what he's saying is that there are deeper issues going on in our life than just with money. Uh, today, we're going to look at two major themes, our true 
treasure is in heaven. But I want to balance that again. I keep trying to balance this. Our true treasure is in heaven, and that should be prioritized. But it doesn't absolve us from our responsibility to Christ and to, um, to our, our neighbors and to our church and to our world here while we're here. It's not one or the other. It's both and. But the priority has to be the fact that our treasure in his heaven is in heaven. And then uh, the second theme that we're going to look at quite deeply, especially when James comes up to join me, is that we are stewards and not masters. And this really becomes a question of ownership and understanding ownership. And so let's um, go ahead and uh, reread what Sherry read for us. The first couple of verses, so verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do not, that do not grow old, with a treasure in the, heaven, in the heavens that does not fail, where there is no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what Jesus is saying there, I hope we understand, um, is not necessarily that everybody is automatically supposed to uh, sell, their, sell all of their belongings and give them away. What he's saying is that if you have placed your faith, hope, and trust only in your belongings and in your wealth, uh, you need to go through the exercise of getting rid of them so that you can understand then uh, that God is really the great provider and the great protector. And so again, this message is not denigrating wealth, success, or achievement. It's merely reminding us of the difference between the temporal and the eternal. It's reminding us of the difference between the temporal and the eternal and why we need to place our faith, hope, and trust in the eternal and, and live a life that makes sure, make sure that we prioritize that perspective. Our true treasure is in heaven because that's the one that lasts. That's the one that's la that lasts. And, and here's another perspective on this. We've said this before. Uh, Tom Schrader used to teach us all the time, and, it's, and, it's, and it just hits spot on. There are three basic major categories of human needs. They are physical needs, which would be like food, housing, clothing, and medicine. There are relational needs, which would be friends, family, community, and in some cases, marriage. And then there's this crucial need that all human beings have. That, that need is for God. And notice that's it. God. That's it. That's the only thing that can fulfill that crucial need. The problem with us humans is that we too often try to fill that crucial need with relational or physical items. And then we wonder why we're so frustrated and unsatisfied. Because we're trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum in our soul with all the wrong things. It's not that they're bad things, but that's not what those things are designed for. A cheeseburger from Zinburger will not satisfy you eternally. You can have one and enjoy one at 5 o'clock in the evening, and trust me, if you're still up at 10 o'clock, you're going to be hungry for another one. It's not going to satisfy you the way God does. And as Jesus says in these three verses, one of the problems with worldly treasures is that they are susceptible to being lost. Not only do they fade away, but they are also susceptible to being lost. And then we can also see how this perspective from these three verses flows right into the admonishment that we uh, get in the next verses, which is the admonishment is simply to be ready. So he, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning. 
and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. When he comes truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. In other words, the servants that are constantly ready for the master to come. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would, have left the, <clears throat> he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at, his, at an hour you do not expect. We do not know the, uh, the day or the hour. So Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for all of us? And the Lord said, who then is faithful and is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find doing, uh, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to bear, beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at the hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did know, who did not know and did, uh, and did what deserved a beating will receive a lighter beating. Everyone... To whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand even more. So uh, in the Psalms, uh, one of the things that we're, uh, the Psalms talks about, and there's some in the New Testament about this, and this would be one of the passages as well, but in the Psalms, uh, the Psalms talks about how difficult it is for people of faith to watch people who aren't of faith who are wicked and evil and living in darkness, and yet they seem to be getting away with it, and they seem, to, uh, they seem to feel like, God doesn't see this, God doesn't know. How could God possibly keep track of what I'm doing? And what Jesus is saying, no, he is keeping track of it, and you need to understand, there will actually be a judgment day. I know that it's not popular to talk about judgment or a judgment day, but that's what Scripture teaches. Eventually, there will be a judgment day, and we will all be called to this day of reckoning. And Jesus is saying, the best way to be ready for that is just know me, accept me. That's the most important thing, and then I will empower you to be ready. So one of the things that Jesus is also saying here is that Jesus always surprises. Jesus always surprises. Now, this surprising characteristic of Jesus that he always surprises is both a, a wonderful blessing, but it's also a cause for potential anxiety. But this should be a teachable moment, I hope, for most of us. Back when I was in the, in the shoe business, now this is ages and ages and ages ago. It's 1979. Last century, okay, back when I was in the shoe business, I was made the assistant manager, and I want to clarify, not the assistant to the manager, I was made the assistant manager of the highest volume store in Arizona for our national company. This was Baker's Shoe Store in Christown Mall, 19th Avenue and Bethany Home. Rich Menard is clapping. I have no idea why he's clapping for this. Anyway, 
But I will tell you, this was a highly coveted position in our, in our company. We had 5,000 stores. This is the highest volume store in Arizona. Uh, one of the best managers in the company. It's a highly coveted position. And at 20 years old, I was able to snag it. I'd already been with them for two years. And I was able to get this, um, get this job as the assistant manager. And so the very first night that, that the manager left me alone in charge of the store, it was a Friday night. This was my first big management and leadership test. And I wanted to shine, of course. Well, at about 6.30 that night, it was slow. There were one or two customers in the store. We had a staff of eight to 10 people on duty. And so we were covered very well. And so I wandered back into the stock room, back behind the regular store. And, and, and five or so of the salespeople were just hanging out there, smoking cigarettes, yucking it up. And I decided to join them. These were friends of mine, so we're hanging out together, just yucking it up. Now, if you know anything about Christown Mall in the late 70s, you know that one minute that mall could be really quiet and the next minute absolute bedlam. Customers absolutely everywhere, okay? So anyway, as I was in the back room yucking it up with the gang, our store got hit with a wave. I mean, just got buried with a wave of customers. And I'm in the back. I had no idea. Next thing I know, our regional manager, my manager's boss, his name was Jesse Yola, he walked into the store just as we got hit with this wave of customers, customers who are now milling around the store waiting to be helped. And some of the customers got frustrated and walked out with so, without so much as a hello from our crack sales staff because we were in the stock room messing around. Now, you can imagine my horror when Mr. Jesse Yola walked into the stock room and he started waiting on customers. Didn't say a word to us. He did give me the hairy eyeball, though. Okay. And now you can imagine, I, and, and here you go, Jesse Yola is not even Jesus, okay? <laughs> Though at the time in my life, he was the closest thing to Jesus, I think, in my life. Anyway, here's what happened in the wake of that debacle that I was clearly responsible for. I had gone all in with this company and the prospect of moving up with them, but I felt like that hope had already been vanished that night. I had already messed that up. And the next morning, I got metaphorically cut into pieces and thrown into the fire by my manager because he heard about it from Mr. Jesse Yola. Before the store opened, after the store um, staff meeting, he pretty much let me have it. And, and this is by somebody, his name was Ray Arteagas, by somebody who still to this day I would count as one of the most important men in, in, in the history of my life. And I learned a lot from that experience. I did learn a lot and I recovered well, actually, and went on to have a very successful eight-year run with this company. I eventually managed stores for them in Chicago for five years and then moved as a regional manager uh, down to Houston, where I spent seven years one year in Houston, if you get that joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was given a lot. You know, 20 years old to get this coveted position, to get an opportunity to shine, get an opportunity to move up with uh, this company. It was a promotion from within company. It was a large billion-dollar company. I was given a lot, and therefore, I had a responsibility to steward well what I had been uh, given. But then I was given a second chance. And listen, I want you to, I want you to hear this. Uh, in Jesus, we have been given much. We've been given a lot. And therefore, we have a huge responsibility, not grudgingly, 
but joyously to live in response to this grace and love that has been given to us. And Jesus knows how flawed we are. And so he's always ready to give us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance because this is for eternity. This is the infinite game. Now, yes, he's warning us that we need to be ready, but we also have to remember that we're living. If you're in Christ, we live in grace, and that grace allows us the privilege of always coming back to him and always receiving that great, more grace than our sin and our rebellion could ever possibly cover. It's more grace than we even need. And this is for eternity. The eternal perspective, therefore, requires that we have the mindset of a trustee and a steward. That's Jesus' point in explaining this teaching to Peter in verses 42 through 48, the last verses. I said earlier that Jesus surprising us is both a blessing and it's a cause for potential anxiety as well. Those of us who know Jesus and have seen him work, even though life is hard and filled with disappointments, we can easily recount the times that he's blessed us and sometimes blessed us immeasurably and surprisingly. Remember, Jesus' standard operating procedure is not to change our circumstances, though he can and occasionally he will wow us by doing that. But rather, his standard operating procedure is to walk through our difficulties with us because even though we don't always see it this way, when he walks with us through these difficult times, it is ultimately for our good and for his glory. So to wrap up, I want to bring up uh, James Dufresne. We're going to have a little com conversation about the eternal perspective and about ownership, the fact that we're not merely stewards. Um, we're, we are merely stewards and not masters. So if you'll please welcome James. Come on up. <laughs> Awkward transition here, sorry. How you doing? Good. So, a couple of, uh, just good, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm battling a cold. Uh, okay. battling a cold. All right. Uh, that's because you have three kids. Uh, this is You're correct. constantly doing this is that. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. A couple things about uh, James. First of all, uh, just little Trivia tidbits. James and I have been a part of Redemption Arcadia for exactly the same amount of time. Uh, he was a single guy looking for a church um, and had visited some churches and he visited Redemption Arcadia for his first time when I was uh, installed for the first time. As, uh, same, the first same time. Sunday, yeah. yeah the and I, and I came back, which and was you shocking. Came back. Well, the, the story <laughs> goes is that uh, during my first sermon, I used a hockey illustration to illustrate yeah, the gospel somehow. <laughs> and James grew up in Maine with 17 or 18 brothers, and they all, played, they all played hockey. And so when he heard the hockey illustration, he said, well, I'm going to come back. Um, I, have, have, I have all my teeth, too, surprisingly. You still have all your yeah, teeth. That's good. Yeah. Those mouth guards have really been improved. So. <laughs> yeah, um, tremendously. The other thing about James is that James and his wife, Jillian, are one of the few couples that I have not married once but twice. I, I officiated their marriage right. uh, twice. And, and here you go. Now, there's a backstory to this. They never got divorced, okay? <laughs> there is a wonderful backstory. And I can assure you the reason why I officiated their marriage twice is because of their love and devotion and commitment to God. So yeah, I'll yeah. just say that. And if you ever want to know uh, and, the and story. And real quick, Frank, we got married in the Moreland's backyard. I don't know if you guys know Jim and Pat. But, Jim, uh, uh, Jim and Pat Moreland. Jim's one of our elders. Yeah. yeah. Just a big shout out to them. Uh, uh, and those of you who have great backyards 
and you want to do the greatest thing ever for a young couple, give them your backyard to get married in. It, there's uh, maybe like a, a month or two after we got married, somebody decided to build a massive house next to theirs and destroyed their view and everything else. That's true, yeah. And uh, It took half their backyard with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, those of you who have nice backyards, just think about that for the young couples. Help them out a little bit. I was dumb enough, though, to then go get married again and spend all the money that we were supposed to save. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I remember that one. That was in April, and it was yeah. out in Scottsdale. Yeah. Which is now an assisted living facility. I know. It's... There you go. That restaurant closed like five minutes after your reception, didn't it? For good. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. that. Yes, yes. Okay, nice view. So um, give us the two-minute James Dufresne story again, just like Josh last week. Where did you grow up? Schools, yep. family, and of course your significant athletic achievements. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I grew up in Scarborough, Maine, little town south of Portland. Uh, three brothers, three stepsisters. My brother Perry goes here. My twin brother, my identical twin, he lives in London, England. Uh, we were born at 24 weeks and uh, should have died uh, multiple times, but we're here by the grace of God. Yeah. Uh, and so my oldest brother was playing hockey at Hofstra University, if you're an East Coast person, and wanted to never shovel snow ever again, and uh, went alphabetical by party school, stopped at Arizona State, and <laughs> never came home. He never came home. He was supposed to go see Miami and never did. Went to Arizona State, and then uh, the rest history. My older brother Perry moved out in 05, and then my twin brother and I moved out in August of 07. Okay. Um, my greatest uh, athletic achievement was, uh, I think to this day, I still hold the record in the state of Maine for throwing a three iron further than any other player. <laughs> so uh, it was a rainy day. I don't know why we were playing in this tournament, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I just lost it in this three iron, went 75 yards, dead center. <laughs> The ball went 225, which was great. It was, the, it was literally the best I've ever hit a three iron in my life, but the club just went flying. So, That's yeah. awesome. That is a significant achievement. I yes, think. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to jump right into it. Is Jesus a capitalist or a socialist? <laughs> wow. Uh, he's a vegetarian, okay, and good. he's a socialist. So tell yeah. us about your family. Uh, yeah, so married to Jillian, and uh, we have three young kids. Uh, Vinny, who's eight, Max is five, or almost eight. Max is five, and then Violet is two and a half. Uh, we're also known as the Ginger family. Uh, we have two, two of the three are redheads, and poor little Maxie's got blonde hair, so yeah. I don't know. They're great kids. I used to say a really bad joke about a FedEx guy during that, but I won't anymore because <laughs> my kids understand it. So. All right, so um, vocation, business, expertise, yep. that stuff? So I run uh, the wealth management group for a regional bank here in town and uh, working mostly with business owners, either pre-sale or post-sale of their companies. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get right to it now, uh, besides the capitalist socialist thing. Um, probably the main reason I wanted the church to hear from you today is because in these verses, I, I see some tension. That tension comes from our need to hold, our need to hold the things of this world very loosely because of the eternal perspective and because Jesus is Lord. But also, in the midst of that, we have a call and a responsibility to steward and manage to be trustees of the things of this world. So we have to hold them loosely, but also steward them well, you know, because of Jesus, both, both because of Jesus. So there's tension there, right? So I've watched you and listened to you and been friends with you for the last 11 years, and although, I, and I think Jillian would agree, you are not perfect. 
Uh, I believe that you do a really good job of understanding and holding that tension very well. Um, you're successful, you've done well, and you're also one of the, here's the thing, you're also one of the most effective marketplace evangelists I've ever met or seen in my 35 years of being a Christian. And yet, you refuse to fall into the trap of being owned by what you own. So just talk about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, thank you for that. Um, it, it really helps if we look at verse 42 of the scripture that was just read. Um, what, what was kind of a game changer for me is, I don't know what steward is. I don't know what really a manager is. I've never held a manager position. Um, I've always just been a producer. And so... Uh, the same word in verse 42 of what we just read is also translated in Galatians 4.2 as governor. And that, understanding that, because I know what a governor does, right? Uh, and I can understand the roles and responsibilities of a governor. That helps me understand stewardship and the ability to manage. So uh, it, they're overseers of our state, right? Both the people in our state, the finances of our state, the general well-being of our state. And if it came out that Doug Ducey or now uh, Katie Hobbs embezzled a million dollars from the state. Now, I'm not saying that they did. I know this is going to be on YouTube, and so they, that is not true. But if they did, <laughs> if they did, we would have a righteous anger about that, right? That's our money. That's our yeah. money. We, we'd, be, we'd be really ticked off. And, and yet that's, that's how we go to God, is that we are embezzling from time to time throughout our lives. And and God says, ah, you're, you're a governor of this life. You're a governor of, of what we've given you. And we can't talk about stewardship without talking about ownership. Uh, they, they, they go hand in hand. Right. If I think I own it, then I'm going to act differently than if I believe and know that the Lord owns it. And uh, I wanted to go through a couple of verses sure. with everybody, uh, if that's okay. So um, if we turn to Psalm 50, uh, verses 10 through 12, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine in its fullness. We go to Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, and he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as this day. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for, he, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Uh, as Frank mentioned, there's a lot of tension in this um, not being owned by what you own. And again, we can go to the Bible for all these answers. It's not just what James thinks or Frank thinks. Let's go to Scripture. Uh, I love the book of Proverbs. Those of you who have known me have been reading Proverbs for a long time since I became a Christian. And um, I think the book of Proverbs shows this tension incredibly well. There's, there's three uh, verses that I wanted to go to on this. And it, it, all of us wrestle with this to some degree. Uh, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away. We all see that, whether it was COVID or 2008. Money just flies away. All that work, just gone. Be diligent. Now, on the flip side, we're called, don't overwork. 
But then in Proverbs 27, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and to attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor is a, is a crown endured to all generations. So let's not be passive. We need to be active in, in watching over what the Lord has given us. Uh, and then finally, Proverbs 11:24. This is the paradox when it comes to Christian stewardship. There's one who scatters yet increases more, and there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Uh, so in my family, growing up, prior to becoming a Christian, I was known as the uh, cheap brother. Okay, <laughs> Perry can attest to this. I know he's in here somewhere. I was frugal. Uh, <laughs> and, and to that, I am actually really ashamed because um, I, I, it was beyond this idea of, oh, I have this money. It was, I'm going to hold everything that I have really tight. And, and the Lord really just helped release that from me. And that's true because you've become one of the most generous persons I've ever known as well. I try. Yeah. I try. Still fall really short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you said kind of reminds me of a couple of things. There was recently, I don't know if it was an essay or an interview with Shaquille O'Neal. Anybody ever heard of Shaquille O'Neal? Shaq. Okay. So anyway, he, um, he was talking about how annoyed he was getting with his kids because his kids were uh, running around acting like they were rich. Because, you know, Shaquille's got some money. I don't know if you know that, but he's got some money. And finally, he just looked at his kids and he said, hey, I want to remind you of something. I'm the one who's rich. You're not. <laughs> and, and it's essentially, it, I, I don't think Shaquille O'Neal has a God complex, but essentially what he's saying is, is God's trying to remind us he's the one who's got all this stuff. He's the one who's rich, and, and it's not us. It, we're rich because of, of, of God. We need to remember that. Yeah. The other thing, the way you talked about stewards or trustees, I, I think about this a lot, and I'm glad you mentioned this, understanding uh, the ownership question and also understanding that it means to be a governor, which means you have a responsibility and accountability to the people that you're doing this for. Um, in Genesis 1, when God says, let us make human beings in our image and our likeness, and then he says, and let them have dominion over everything that I've already created. Let them have dominion. That word dominion, that English word dominion, I found hangs us up a lot, uh, hangs Christians up a lot. I, I've heard Christians point at that verse and say, we can do whatever we want to the, to the earth. We can do whatever we want to these resources that God has given us. Well, not exactly, because in the Hebrew, that word translated dominion means to be a, a trustee or a governor or a steward. And, and it reminded me of when I was a, uh, for nine years, I was on the board of trustees at Grand Canyon University. And, and it, it just reminded me that when, when, as the board of trustees, were we allowed as the trustees to take advantage of the students and the employees? Was that what we were supposed to be doing as trustees? Absolutely not. Our job was to help the students and the employees to flourish. That's what a trustee right. does. And that's what we're supposed to be yeah. doing. So. We don't have a governor's mansion in Arizona. We're, we're one of the only states that doesn't. But imagine if, and I know no political leader would ever do this, but imagine Doug Ducey just didn't want to leave if he had a governor's mansion. He just sat there, just said, no, this is my yeah. house now. Yeah. I mean, that's ludicrous, right? Yeah, so. exactly. Same, same idea. So then how do you see your business as a platform for the gospel? Yeah, so very simply, um, I interact with people and money, and uh, that's messy. 
very messy. Any of you who deal with people know that people are messy, and if you deal with money, you know that money is especially messy. Uh, and the, the problem that I have in, in my sphere is that I'm interacting with people that money is not a problem for them. They've generally made a lot of it, and, uh, and they can make more of it if, God forbid, they lost it. And so we're trying to show people that don't have a need for money that the only true need that needs to be fulfilled is that in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I have the u- unique position of being able to kind of confront folks at that highest need because we're talking about something that they've grasped you know, so tightly. Uh, the, and, and it bleeds into my life, too. I mean, you, you start to associate with enough people of means, and it can really affect the way that you see things. You, you start to kind of read your own uh, press release, so to speak. Right. And so uh, I've, I've been, as the scripture says, much, uh, for, for those of us who have been given much, much is going to be demanded. And I know that the Lord's put me in this position to share the gospel uh, with those people. Uh, the challenge is, and, and for many of us in the marketplace, we can relate to this, is that at the very moment in which we're about to close a deal, the Holy Spirit says, hey, you got to talk to them about Jesus. And that is horrible timing. I mean, just horrible timing. This whole time, you don't mention it all, and then you're right there, and the next thing you know, you just hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, you really, that's great and all that their money's taken care of, but you, you got to talk to them about the one thing that matters more than any of that, which is where are they going to be in eternity? And uh, there's two things that are eternal. It's people and God's word. And if we really believe that, then we'll care more about the soul of our client than how many zeros are in their bank account. And so um, just trying to be faithful, but I have failed. I mean, there are so many moments where I know exactly the Holy Spirit says, James, you gotta bring the goods, you gotta bring the gospel, and I don't do it, and I get nervous, and I shy away. Um, but he's faithful to bring more opportunity. And, uh, that's, but that's but there are doing. times when you've done that too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was having breakfast this number of years ago uh, with a real estate guy here in town, uh, worth a lot of money. And uh, I was like, boy, this would be fantastic if we could bring them on as a client. Somehow the conversation led to uh, talking about faith. And uh, I look for ways to integrate that into conversations. Well, this went horribly wrong. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I hit a sensitive subject with this guy. And we went back and forth, and so I, I came back to him and said, look, you gotta make a decision here who you're gonna serve, and he just got up and left. Didn't pay, you know, didn't pay the bill, I covered the bill, but he just got up and left. It was at first watch, right here, yeah. and, uh, and haven't, he hasn't talked to me since. So, wow. uh, you know, and then the number you know, um, Frank and I and a, a few others here in the church get up at an ungodly early hour, I had a client that was in Europe, and uh, he was texting me at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and uh, we were doing a wire transfer or something, and he said, well, what are you doing up? And uh, th- this is always the moment where you could lie and say, oh, you know, I'm grinding, man. I'm, I'm doing what you guys are doing. I'm working. I'm getting after it. <laughs> the truth was I was reading my Bible and praying, right? Now, here's the moment of truth. You can be that weird guy all of a sudden and the Bible guy, uh, of which he may never talk to you again. So I texted him and said, oh, I, I try to spend some time uh, in the Bible and in prayer, just getting my soul right before I get into the workplace. He didn't text me back. <laughs> that was nothing. That was that. That was that. That was that. 
So, so I hear those stories, and that's that's got to be anguishing because you know you, they were about to sign the checks, so right. to speak. Right. Escrow is closing, and they walked away because of the faith question. And yet, I also um, I've I've said this so many times, and it's hard to live by this. I know it is, but God is always either protecting us or providing for us. Yeah. But a lot of the times we don't know which is which. And there are times when we feel like he hasn't provided for us. He didn't let us close the deal. And yet maybe in that moment he was protecting us from something far worse that we had no foresight or knowledge of yeah. in that moment. And, yeah. and hopefully we can live in faith when it comes to that. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, now Jesus doesn't specifically say it here, but something else we are called to steward well is our family. So I want you to talk about that. You have three children. You have a wife who is also um, leading a growing and thriving business as well. You're both very busy. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Jillian's a way better entrepreneur than I am. Let's put it that way. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, this idea of stewardship, it doesn't just fall with money. It falls into every category of life. Uh, and before anyone thinks I've got this figured out, I, I don't. Uh, I have failed in the, the family stewardship uh, aspect uh, so many times. Um, praise God that uh, Jillian is very faithful and uh, long-suffering and that my kids are quick to forgive. Um, you know, it says in Proverbs 31, 10, 11 that a man trusts in his wife and that he doesn't lack any gain and um, God's really blessed me with that with my wife. That's good. Uh, but the idea of stewarding your family is a tough one because um, we may be winning at work and a lot of, uh, I'll speak to men on this, is that we, when we win at work, uh, we can quickly fail uh, in our own home. Uh, it's just a different system. And uh, I'm very convicted by that. But one thing that Jillian and I have really tried to do is make sure that the gospel is at the center um, of our home. And not just in word, right? I, I, I have been a hypocrite so many times in my life that... Uh, you know, there are many times where it's, geez, you got to ask your kids for forgiveness. But as the Lord always surprises, they are so good at coming back and saying, you know, Daddy, we forgive you. Uh, we, we forgive you. We love you. And if we can present that gospel and live it out in real life, they are going to see that. And God willing, it will be contagious enough that they will want that. You know, my, our, our middle guy, Max, a couple weeks ago, uh, he said, Dad, I, I think I'm going to be a pastor one day. He's wow. five years old. Wow. And, uh, and, and I don't, they're not going to care about how much money we have in our bank account. Uh, we need to be able to, to pass that on. And um, the other challenge I've had is that um, twice now I've turned down promotions that would require significant travel uh, so that we could make sure that the family was a top priority. I know not everyone has that ability. Sometimes yeah. you have jobs where you've got to travel, and that's yeah. very tough. Uh, I'd say you've you got to have some good people in your corner if you're traveling a lot because the temptations are great. Yeah. And so yeah. just trying to do the, the, the best that we can and um, trying not to be hypocrites to our kids and because uh, there's many times where we have been and we repent of that and I repent of that mostly and, and have to you know, turn back around and ask the Lord for forgiveness. That's really good. Um, Max, five years old, he wants to be a pastor. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think Vinny's going to make the money, and I think Max is going to okay. preach about it. Yeah. Um, Vin, Vin is just, he's yeah, like, I know. yeah. 
He's, yeah. de he's very determined. He's driven. Yes. He is driven. And Lord help us with Violet. I have no idea what she's going to do. <laughs> she's just going to dazzle people <laughs> like she does now. Yeah. Um, tell Max that um, Redemption Church has an incredible pastoral residency program. And maybe, he can start next year. Maybe he'll be the youngest. Yeah. 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 Vinny can help manage the finances. Okay. And, and yeah. That'll be good. Vinny will be our next elder candidate. There you go. Yeah. I love okay. Yeah. So, um, James, thanks for coming up. Of course, I have this last question that I always ask. If there was a question that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked, what would be the question and what would be your answer? Uh, two things. Um, one, what position were the Black Blackhawks in this year? We won't go there. They're, they we are my... 32nd out of 32 <laughs> teams. Even the Coyotes are better than that. So, yeah, just let that sink in. Yeah, I know. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, one thing that I've sort of tied together with a lot of Jesus' parables is this idea of readiness in the gospel and readiness in stewardship. Um, and it, as we go into the week, we're all ready in our jobs, or if we're retired, we're ready for pickleball or whatever it is that we're playing. <laughs> But um, this, this idea of what is Jesus getting at here to be ready, to constantly be on alert, uh, you know, this is one thing that I've struggled with significantly, especially uh, pre-Christ, but now in Christ. Uh, if you go out to a party and it, it, all, it never fails after we go to a wedding or something and maybe I have a little too much to drink, the next morning I'm reading my Bible and reading about this. Like, don't be a lazy bum, be ready. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, I failed again. <laughs> so uh, this, this, that concept, though, of um, not, not in a, in a uh, fully fearful way, but in an anxious way to be ready for the Lord. And can we, can we say that we're ready uh, for Christ's coming? Um, there's, there's something there, and I would challenge all of us to, to dig a little deeper into that. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing with us. Let me pray for you. Thank okay. You. Uh, Father God, thank you for um, James and Jillian and their family and for uh, their faithfulness, and thank you for the testimony that we got to hear today. Uh, I pray that you would uh, use these words in your way, that your spirit would uh, carry them to the hearts and minds of the people who are here uh, to help build them up, to encourage them, and to help them to know you better. Uh, I pray your favor on uh, the Dufresne household. And uh, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you thank James for uh, coming up with us? Uh, so now we're going to head into our time of response and reflection. Uh, as we think about this eternal perspective, we're reminded um, by what Jesus did the night before he's betrayed. He institutes this, uh, this supper, this meal. Uh, we call it communion. It's known as the Lord's Supper as well. If our communion servers would please come forward. It's that night that uh, Jesus was betrayed. Uh, he's with his friends and he takes the bread. He gives thanks and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body and it's for you. He's, he's letting us know what's going to happen to him. Pre-cross and on the cross, his body's going to be broken. And, and then later on, he picks up the cup. It's filled with wine, and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out, my blood poured out for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and Paul reminds us that every time that we eat this bread and, and drink of this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And so that's what we're going to do now. We come in celebration. We come in celebration that we have a Savior who has paid our debt, 
who doesn't look at us and say, you're not worthy, but rather says, I am worthy, and I give that worthiness to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's do that now. Hallelujah. 
Where is your sting? 
church what a pleasure and honor it was to worship with you this morning i'm going to read this out of jude as we go out into the world to live all of our life all for jesus it says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever Amen. Arcadia, we love you. Go live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.